The Chippewa have a tradition that in the time before time, there existed a bird of supreme majesty descended to earth, which was then only a vast expanse of water. The bird's eyes were fire. Its glance was lightning. And the motion of its wings rippled through the air with thunder. When its talons touched the water, the Earth Mother arose from the deep waters, bringing with her to the surface all manner of animals. Many other Native American tribes have traditions that tell of birds as agents of creation. And the winged giants became objects of religious ceremony among many of the Native peoples. The journal of an early Catholic priest records that the very first time the tribal members of the California mission that he served saw the representation of a dove over the altar, they asked him if it was the Christian Thunderbird. For hundreds of years, it is not only the Native Americans who have claimed to have seen Thunderbirds circling above them in the skies. Frontiersmen and settlers couldn't ignore them. And eventually, newspapers began to take these accounts seriously enough to begin to report them. Welcome back to your favorite podcast, That Would Be Rad, a podcast that majors in 80s and 90s nostalgia, comic culture, all things paranormal, and minors in retro video games, tabletop RPGs, pre-internet mysteries, and raising our kids to be half as cool as we were back in the 80s. I'm your host, Tyler Bentz, and this is your other host, Woody Brown. Hey, man. (laughs) Good Lord. (laughs) What's up, dude? Man, barely... Barely made it through that one. Dude, I got to be honest, man. This is one of those episodes that I've been waiting and and just so excited about doing Mm -hmm. since we started the podcast. Yeah, same. And I think it was like more interest and more excitement was kind of triggered by it. And I think we talked about it when we talked about uh, Mm -hmm. the movie Prey. Like this, I have this fascination with this lore and the the history of, of Thunderbirds, man, and how cool it is that it's such a large part of our Native American culture. So, dude, I can't wait to uh, to hear more. Oh, yeah, dude. One thing that I do need to say, like, right off the bat, and it's something that I don't know as a quote-unquote, like, white man, I don't know if if we would have be privy to, like, this sort of knowledge. And, and then even furthermore, it being, like, separated into, like, uh, you know, a ton of, like, s- separate tribes all throughout the Americas. But... It's it's fascinating because like there's this there's this like this concept that's such a massive part of I mean as far as what I've found like all Native American history and and culture of indigenous people it's such a big deal to all of them 
But we're talking like tribes that would have never, ever had a chance to meet from like over on the East Coast all the way to the West Coast. And they're yeah. really similar sort of accounts. So it's it's pretty fascinating. And it's kind of hard to, de- to deny that like they were seeing something, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let's get started. I think we're going to go back to the uh, sort of the, the Native American it's early kind of genesis. Mm-hmm. So the Thunderbird has been part of uh, Native American history and culture for many years. It would it was there to symbolize power and nobility and strength in, you know, like I said, in almost all Native American tribes. The Thunderbird is a dominant symbol in their traditions and icon. Um, it's, you know, plastered all over tons of artwork and totem poles, jewelry, masks, uh, petroglyphs, carvings, and What's interesting, and I've never even noticed this until until the research for this, but the, the most of the totem poles have the you know the the thunderbird is at, always at the top, on top. Right? Yeah, dude, it's so funny that you say that because I was about to interrupt you, mm-hmm. but I decided not to because I'm the courteous one. We, you know, we know that. Okay, we've you know we we've gotten that, but yeah, like I never really kind of put two and two together, and I think when I was little. It's the one that you, like, if you think of a totem pole in your mind. Yeah, right. You're already picturing their depiction of the Thunderbird, dude. Mm-hmm. But I never paid attention that it was, like, always on top, though. I think that's... Yeah, I know. Me neither. In fact, I honestly, that's the only one I can really, I guess maybe there's, like, I can remember, like, a bear, a wolf. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, the totems most times have the giant birds carved on the top with the underwater panther on the bottom, mm. which is pretty interesting and also wasn't that in your in yeah we michigan? talked about it in in the uh in the, the episode yeah michigan well in the in the episode we did about the michigan monsters and mysteries and stuff season two episode 36 michigan monsters and mysteries yeah yeah and most tribes you know they'll have you know songs that are still still around to honor it some of the west coast tribes believe that the thunderbird and humans made some sort of deal for the Thunderbird to help them in times of, of need, like as far as like, uh, you know, like food shortages or uh, like plant shortages in exchange for them honoring the Thunderbird, which is a common thing, you know, with, once most, you of look, the, with most of the like, what would you call that, Patheon or whatever, like most of the things that the Native Americans sort of respected yeah. and, and gave... I don't know, symbols, yeah, offering symbols of power and stuff like they, each one sort of had their, I guess, dichotomy of what it would help them, right? Yeah, but I I think it's, it's, it's kind of falls into that same like sort of um, mysticism of, I mean, even with like the fae and the fairy, you know, they would leave out like little, little like thimbles of milk or little bowls of milk for the Mm -hmm. brownies or, Mm -hmm. you know, so that idea that there's this like sort of offering left is, uh, you know, is pretty common. So different tribes have different beliefs when it comes to uh, the idea of the Thunderbird. Uh, the Lakota Sioux believed if you saw birds in your dreams that you were destined to become a medicine man or shaman in the tribe. Well, if you saw the Thunderbird in your dreams... Is it shaman or shaman? Um, Does it matter? Always wondered because you say shaman, it shaman. shaman. Shaman, I think you said that. Shaman. I think you say it that way too. You know, I feel like I, I've always said shaman, but then I feel like I heard a recent episode of it could have been Cartoonist Kayfabe, where they were talking about Mike Grell's shaman's tears, and I think they said shaman's tears. Mm. Well, 
Are they Native American? I mean, the vocalists. Not interested. <laughs> the Lakota Sioux tribe also believed that the Thunderbird uh, was a highly respected and feared spirit. And that's, mm. that is, again, this will be like a theme that'll kind of continue throughout. You know, some, I think it's important to note that some of these tribes uh, or myths would look at it more of as like something to be feared, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh man, it's like a scary thing. We need to, we need to put out an offering so it won't do this, 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 you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. While other tribes, it's sort of the opposite. It's sort of a, um, almost like an agreement between mm-hmm. humans and, and this, this being from like the other realm. Yeah. If you will. Well, you what's know? interesting too, man, is like, even like earlier when I mentioned like the Chippewa, right. And like, it being sort of uh, like an quote-unquote agent of creation, mm-hmm. we can kind of like relate to that in like the, I guess the in the in the Christian belief system, it's like there's moments where, and we've all heard the term like put the fear of God in you, you know. There's moments where you're like something or a being of such power, you're gonna respect, you're gonna in some cases, potentially, like, adore, be thankful mm-hmm. for. Right. And then there's also going to be moments where you're, like, kind of scared of it, right? And so it's like anything with that kind of power deserves all of those emotional sort of connections to it, right? I mean, that's – it's just telling to me that, like, not only are they just doing it out of respect because it's just, you know, their love in nature. It's like this thing is powerful in their belief system. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, even even more – you know, we've said this before, but it's like the fact that like you're, you know, like a totem pole, these totems were sort of representative of like these symbols of, of like great power to these people. And so this was the, the totem pole was sort of depicting like their gods. You know, if you look at it as like you said earlier, Woody, like a pantheon. And like we said, it's like, you know, the, the Thunderbird is up top. So there's like a great deal of important or, uh, you know, sort of, I don't know, great There's deal of power. a great deal of important. <laughs> I almost said importancy, but I don't think... That's not a word. Right. So. Uh, no, there's there's just like a great deal uh, of thought put into this this creature if, you know, he's at the very top. Mm-hmm. In the gross ventre traditions, it was the Thunderbird who gave the sacred pipe to the people. That's oh, wow. cool. That is cool. Uh, some Plains tribes, including the Arapaho associated Thunderbirds with summer season while the white owl represented the winter season. Hmm. In Algonquin mythology, which by the way, man, Algonquin, I've ever since I first heard that word, I love that word. Oh my gosh, dude. I don't know why. Hundred percent, man. I know. Yeah. There's so much we say it all the time. I know. And like there's so much like that's just so amazing. And there's so much like rich history that unfortunately, man, and I've got like this like renewed passion for it within like the Native Americans that like, man, I just want to dig so deep into their, they're just so amazing, dude. And I mean, the thing that, that kind of sucks about it is, you know, like I said up top, you know, us being, I mean, I have a decent amount of Cherokee uh, in my lineage uh, from my dad's side, but you know, at the end of the day, we're still, you know, white dudes. And so I I wasn't brought up in any sort of like tribe or anything like that. So I, I feel like the no matter wh- how much research you put into this, I feel like there's there's still so much that is that we would would be missing. You know what mm. I mean? 
Oh yeah, man. That, that's yeah. On, that's probably still like only you know on reservations and stuff that is like still specifically tied to like oral traditions. Yeah, for sure. You know? For sure. So in Algonquin mythology, the Thunderbird controls the upper world while the underworld is controlled by the underwater panther mm. or great horned serpent, which that's so bizarre. Yeah. Uh, from which the Thunderbird protects humans by throwing lightning at it. According to their legends, the Thunderbirds were ancestors of the human race and helped to create their universe. So see, that's kind of similar to, to what you were saying up top. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Minomini of Wisconsin tell of a great mountain that floats in the western sky, which the Thunderbirds live. From there, they control the rain. They are the enemies of the great horned snakes, called the, oh boy, Missikinabuk, wait, Missikinubik, uh, which they fight with to prevent them from overrunning the earth and devouring all of mankind. They are said to be messengers of the great sun himself and delight in the deeds of greatness. So see, that's like, like he was like their protector. I think that's mm. pretty cool, you know? It's very cool. Uh, the Ojibwe version is very similar in that the Thunderbirds fight underwater spirits. It's always this, this. Um, I mean, it gets into like the hermetic sciences and, and all that, but like, it's like this as above, so below thing. So it's mm. like Thunderbird represents the air. It's sort of like the, the 80s Yin cartoons. Yang. I mean, did this, you know. Well, the I was going to say the 80s cartoon, side. the Centurions. Oh, yeah. You mm-hmm. had your. You know, Ace McCloud, who was like represented the sky, and then <laughs> you yes. know, so, yeah. so they fought the underwater spirits. Their traditions say that the Thunderbird is responsible for punishing humans who break moral rules. They said that the bird was created by oh boy, Nano Bozo, a high spirit and cultural hero, and that the birds lived in the four directions and migrated to Ojibwe lands during the sp- spring with other birds. They stayed until the fall when the most dangerous season for the underwater spirits had passed, at which time they migrated south with other birds. So I don't know what that means. I wonder if, like, underwater is almost representative of, like, the underworld, maybe? Yeah. I mean, here, here's the thing, and I was going to save this kind of until we start talking about, like, some theories and stuff. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I think, to me, like, whenever I hear just automatically, whenever it's like, oh, uh, well, let's just put it this way. In the summer, mm-hmm. if you were in a Native American tribe, mm-hmm. I'm wondering, hey, was it somebody out there giving swimming lessons and stuff? Pro- mm. You know, probably not, right? And so they would more than likely just kind of had to have learned by, you know, again, word of mouth. And I'm sure it wasn't like super initially super efficient swimming. Maybe there were some tribes that were better at that, you know, kind of like a... Um, Oh, like a trial and error basis, unfortunately, the error being drowning. And so to me, it's like pretty easy to think like, okay, the water, you know, they see their fellow tribes folks, you know, going under and drowning mm-hmm. and thinking, you know, something's pulling them down there. Don't go near the water. It's, you know, it's evil. And then you've yeah. got these like... It's that sort of cautionary tale. Exactly. And then you've got these like large mythical sized sort of creatures that help to explain... And again, it kind of goes back to the name itself, like Thunderbird, right? Mm-hmm. You, you know, they say that the, the I think the glance was like lightning and the the wings, you know, flapping. Yeah, so or, I totally should have mentioned this at the top. But um, yeah, the it was called the Thunderbird because the flapping of its massive, massive wings was kind of known to sound like thunder. 
it the lightning would shoot out of its eyes. And then the Thunderbirds were, for the most part, they were kind of known to bring rain and storms. Mm-hmm. There's there's some that talk about like Well, I was gonna say like aside from the sort of creation aspect, one of the things that I read was that yeah, it was kind of almost used as an explanation for either just sort of quote unquote normal weather patterns, but also like uh, disastrous ones too. Right. Yeah. I'm sure you you saw the the legend of the Passamaquoddies or whatever. Essentially, there was like these two Native Americans that were in search in in search for this like source of thunder in the mountains. Hmm. And another story where like a thunderbird battled an enormous killer whale and oh, kind yeah, of like that's a good when they, as they fought through the whale and it destroyed a lot of the land and knocking down trees and a lot of destruction and stuff. To me, it sounds like. They woke up after a crazy storm. There was like a tornado and they're like, it must have fought a whale. (laughs) Because it doesn't talk about the recovery of a whale carcass. And then, I mean, but maybe there was. Like, think about, here's where like, and again, I'm not trying to take away from, and we'll get into like our thoughts about, did Thunderbirds exist? What Mm -hmm. could they have been? Are they still around? But like something that does fascinate me is the way with which people would explain things back then. Think about if there was some kind of crazy ocean storm and you're like, maybe you're a Pacific Northwest tribe, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a crazy storm that actually like washes up and uh, I don't know if there's whales out there, but I think there might be. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, whatever, you're a coastal tribe. There's a crazy storm, uh, you know, and it washes up a giant carcass of a whale and you're like, man, I knew it, dude. The Thunderbird fought this thing. Here it is, dead. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, the Thunderbird was was actually, by a lot of tribes, sort of believed to be the actual, like, l- sort of living embodiment of the storm or the spirit of, of like, a storm itself. Mm. So, yeah, you know, a lot of times they were able to create storms and manipulate weather, but they they were, you're right, there's, like, of course, I cannot find, like, what tribe this was, but in particular, there's, I think it was, like, sort of in the Pacific Northwest, like, in the coastal areas like you're you're referring to Hmm. but there's a particular sort of story or myth where i guess i guess all these storms came and it totally did well i mean i guess it's in a way opposite from the others where this massive storm came destroyed all their crops basically totally killed their food supply and just when they thought that the whole tribe was going to perish because they they had nothing to eat out of the sky, this massive whale, I mean, this massive Thunderbird comes down. Uh, they said that its wings, each wing was as long as like two canoes, which is pretty amazing. Man. And it had these massive talons and it literally flew down from the sky and perched in its talons was a massive whale that it literally just dropped right in the middle of, mm-hmm. of the tribe. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's stories like that that are just like, man, it's so cool. Because I think like, I think especially when you you get into the more like modern accounts, you know, we start you you kind of start to see like a a little bit of a smaller yeah, version, you know, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so this idea that this you know, at least this is what the tribes believed or maybe they were, you know, monomyth stories or or whatever, but these myths are like talking about these things that are so big that they're literally, you know, flying and carrying whales with their talons and that's that's so cool man it's super cool and i mean if from a biological standpoint you know it's not i mean it's not uh hard for me to believe 
that larger versions of any species existed, mm-hmm. you know, way before sort of the industrial revolution and stuff. Because, right. like, think about it, like, there were larger, you know, prey for, that, were, that was available for these larger creatures to sustain them and, and that kind of thing. I mean, there there have been large birds that, you know, were endangered and went extinct. Like the, the uh, what is it, the condor? What was the what was the old Disney cartoon, man? Was it the Condor? Um, wait, Disney cartoon? Remember, there's like a Disney cartoon where like the the oh the rescuers down under, mm. albatross. That's what I'm thinking, mm-hmm. right? It had a big well, it had a big wingspan. Well, no, the albatross was the one that was like carrying them. Yeah, that's just what reminded me of it. But I'm saying like I think the albatross. No, no, no. I'm saying the albatross was like the little bird that they flew on. You're thinking of like that giant. Was it like a chicken hawk or something? It was yeah. massive. Oh, yeah, it's a golden eagle called Marahoot. Boy, I'm just really not uh, remembering this this movie at all. So I actually saw a golden eagle when we were out on our trip to Yellowstone. Like we went to this like sort of conservatory and they had this like bird exhibit where you could see these like massive like bald eagles. And, oh, man. Dude, they're incredible, dude. They're so amazing to accidentally seen the wild too man like i uh i was up in north north georgia with uh luke and brad and mm-hmm. i think ellis i don't know i think it was just luke and brad and we were shooting a commercial or whatever and we looked up and there's a dang bald eagle sitting in a tree right above us dude and it was the most in like, georgia oh yeah oh yeah i, bro. The, I didn't mm-hmm. know we had bald yeah. eagles mm-hmm. i've Especially never seen north. a bald eagle here dude like you know of course like these legends are talking about wingspans that are like 20 feet across yeah. and, and stuff like that. That Well, 60. Obviously, feet. dude, if you see something that big flying above your head, you're going to be like, it's a god, especially back then, right? Yeah, for sure. But even just the normal-sized bald eagle, man, it's just like, wow. I mean, it's just, yeah. not only is it majestic, but it's just, man, it's just, they're, they're, it's just amazing. Yeah. Dude. They're beautiful and they, it's obvious. It's like, no wonder these things are, you know, similar. I mean, even here, like we have, what are they, are they called like chicken vultures or? Uh, yeah. And I mean like the, uh, just the regular vultures, the, uh, I but I think it's like the California condor here. I don't yeah. Know. The, now the California condor gets massive. Yeah. So our neighbors, and I don't know if they're, uh, if there's maybe like a body hidden in their house, Oof. but there is this like group of about five or six, I guess vultures, you know, they're the typical, yeah. basically the bad guys in the old Robin Hood cartoon. <laughs> yeah <laughs> with the they would shoot the crossbows yeah and they just like sit on the roof all the time and i mean those things get so big dude and they're also kind of like you know i think i think disney was like they nailed it with that sort of depiction of them being sort of like the lackeys you know it's like they're they're the kind of like i don't know they just look like they're up to no good yeah and they kind of they have like a little bit of like a scary look to them i mean mm-hmm. so the two species that are typically found here in georgia are the turkey vulture and then that's what the i was black like turkey vulture. vulture yeah yeah and yeah there's just something about them i i remember i remember like especially when i was training for iron man and i was just out running all mm-hmm. the time it would be like you know i just had this like thing where you know where i live there's a lot of wooded area and I'd be running and I'd see just these vultures like circling around or one would be like in the road, you know, chewing mm-hmm. on some animal that was there. And I would always like look at him and say like, 
Not today, my friend, and just keep mm. on running, you know. They get big, man. They do get big. And, I mean, we, even like that hawk that we used to see pulling out of my old driveway mm-hmm. and like up at our old practice space. Old, like Old brother hawk, man. Old brother hawk, man. That's that's our spirit animal. But it would it was massive, you know. Yeah. And so, so this idea, especially, well, I have sort of two opinions. So one is I feel like for you know, a, a tribal person mm-hmm. back then, you know, to like look up and see this massive thing. I mean, we didn't have airplanes. We didn't have, you know, the only sort of, uh, I, I guess, like mode of like travel was like a canoe, you know. Horseback. Uh, so, I mean, that was yeah. that was what they sort of, I guess, thought of as far as like the scale. But like if there is any truth to this, and it isn't like a cautionary tale, this idea that that there's a bird with one wing is the length of like two full-sized canoes. I mean, that's like, that's pretty mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah, dude. You know? And yeah. then the other idea is that like, well, maybe maybe we're not giving them enough credit because, I mean, they did they lived in nature. They're not like right. us where we're sort of isolated in our houses and then we get in our cars and then we get in drive and then we get into another covered building. It's like mm-hmm. we're, They're we're never... It. All yeah, we're not time. like yeah. in it. So it's like this they're separated by it by a very thin piece of like maybe deer skin. Maybe, right. You know. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and so exactly. they started building like the long houses and stuff in certain parts. But like, yeah, they would know. In other words, they're not gonna just come up with I don't know, I guess a giant bird. Mm-hmm. One thing that did you discover anything with like the shape shifting thing? Like no, I, uh-uh. I ran across this thing from the Shawnee tribe and they believed that that they were literal shapeshifters who that they were able to you know change their appearance whenever they were interacting with people mm. and they were known to appear as young boys and they were always like sort of identified by they were able to speak backwards what and so bear with me okay i feel like oh boy and again this is a leap this is a i'm i'm admitting this is a total leap okay what would have a maybe bizarre language, maybe mm. would would have a... You can uh, stop right there. Time travelers. No, not time travelers. <laughs> okay. But alien greys, they're three foot tall. Mm. They have a backwards language. They come okay, from yeah, the sky. Okay, yeah, I see where you're going. Like maybe they're, mis- they're like, oh, it's a little boy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because, yeah. yeah, exactly. Or like because, fae or, you know. There you go. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. One of the things, too, in this research that is really fascinating, and I kind of want to do a lot of more, a lot more research into this, is this idea that, like, you know, all these all these tribes, like the quote unquote like bad guy, is you know these like the underwater panther or mm-hmm. undersea creatures or under the water, under the ground, and then like the the Sioux people, you know, they they believe that it. It, their thunderbird would protect protect them from the unctahila who were basically these like reptile reptilian like monsters mm. and so it's this idea that like is as impressive to me as it is that like all these tribes from like i said the east coast all the way to the west coast they all had this like very prominent powerful figure of the thunderbird but they also had this like underwater underground mm. reptilian uh, these snakes that they would fight like mm-hmm. what's that about because that's 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 like a conti- to me that's just as impressive of, as like as all these tribes having like the thunderbird yeah myths, it's kind of you know? like there's like we 
inhabit this world or plane of existence. And at the same time, there are these creatures that are kind of doing their own thing and Mm -hmm. fighting each other. And we just happen to be like caught in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. Look, because one thing that I want to know is like, you hear about all these Native Americans Mm -hmm. seeing Thunderbirds. Well, did it stop there? Mm. When we get back from the break, we're going to dive into some of the more modern accounts where people have seen and potentially even been attacked by Thunderbirds. After these messages, we'll be right back. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. America's future can be determined by our dreams and our visions. It was very intense For over 200 years, there have been reports of giant man-like creatures. From another dimension, another world, I don't know. The most intriguing mystery on the North American continent. Hey, this is Bryce Johnson from the Bigfoot Collectors Club, and you're listening to Tyler and Woody on That Would Be Rad, because that is rad. I don't remember the exact year, but my cousin and I were sleeping on a back porch early in the evening, and between two houses, a swish sound, like wings flapping were heard. We rose up out of our bed and viewed a very large bird, but but not distinctly, only knowing it was huge due to the swish of its wings. It flew between two houses and was never seen again. The year was either 1940 or 1941. We immediately mentioned it to my parents and were told that we were, quote, seeing things. I've never forgotten that evening. And when I studied history in school, the large bird resembled the pterodactyl in the pictures. The memory I had has always persisted. And after reading other people's accounts of large bird sightings, I'm certain that was what we encountered. We were living in this house in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Again, it was early evening and during the summer months, I think around June or July. 
I don't know why, but this sighting has been etched in my mind for years. I'm now 78 years old, but whenever any accounting about strange birds is mentioned, immediately I think of that swish of the wings and the enormous size of the bird. As I understand it, from time to time, this huge flying creature's been seen in Texas as well. Sometimes I wonder if there isn't a back door to our universe where things come and go, visibly and invisibly. Pretty rad. Mm, yeah, I love that. You know, that that's that is something that's that's uh that's kind of common too, is this idea that like the older accounts, like the Native American accounts, they they all feel very, very much like a like you said, like a condor, like a lot of them talk about like having the, like the white ring around their necks, you know, and kind of like the, the horn, like beak, which that's pretty prominent, especially in like the Pacific Northwest, like those sorts of tribes and like sort of totems. But the, the interesting thing is like, as we go, as we get, you know, closer to like the modern age, uh, you start seeing these like, like pterodons or like pterodactyls mm-hmm. and, to me, that's like pretty fascinating. Like, it's, oh yeah, I mean, and and those reports like come, you know, they they come into you know, as as far back as like last year, you know. So like, it's it's a pretty like modern sort of thing. It's like people seeing Bigfoot, you know. Yeah, man, for sure. And to me, that that feels like totally different than, you know, we talk about that a lot with like, oh well, this thing is like lumped in with this thing. Like, to me, I feel like that Thunderbird that that you know, our tribal people would see, it just feels like they're seeing a different thing when they're talking about these, you know, pterodactyls. Uh, yeah, mainly because too, like they describe like feathers and, right. mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, this comes from Brazil in 1960. Uh, this lady's describing her, uh, a story that, an encounter that her uncle had. He was sitting in his house watching TV when a mighty crack sent the shingles on his roof thundering to the ground. He thought someone had thrown something from an airplane because in those days, thieves would take small planes and abandon them in or out to make escapes and so forth. Mm. Again, this is Brazil, so it's 1960. He went outside to take a look and saw a huge bird circling over his head. He says he will never forget it because it was the size of a Cessna. It left a huge hole in his roof and it seemed to circle above his home for hours before heading off over the ocean. It's crazy, dude. Yeah, that's amazing. There's a there's an account that I found um, in I guess Clinton County, Pennsylvania, uh, in the summer of 2010. A large bird with a very large beak was seen near the Cooter Sport Pike, north of Lock Haven, by two witnesses. A subsequent investigation turned up no further sightings. And then, shortly after, in June of two, 2012. Two girls would claim to see a thunderbird while camping in the Chapman Township. The bird, which was estimated at a 14-foot wingspan and had no feathers on its head, swooped low over the camp, causing the younger girl to run crying into the cabin. Uh, I know people think I'm strange when I talk about it, said the older girl, but it was real. Mm. It's pretty wild. It is wild, man. Mm -hmm. We're going to go back uh, a a little bit more to, let's see, 1986. Tim lives in western, lives in western Clinton County, Iowa. Dude, that's Back so in weird. Ni- I just said Clinton County, Pennsylvania. Oh, weird, man. <laughs> Back in 1986, he was out hunting squirrels when he saw a really big bird. It stood over six feet tall on the branch where it was perching. 
It was very bronze and black in color. In some ways, it resembled a very large eagle. Eagles are quite common in that area, so he was certain that this was some kind of bird, the like of which he had never seen. Again, it's that it's that idea of like somebody that's out in the wilderness. Right. They know it well. They've experienced eagles and such, and they can then differentiate between mm-hmm. what they typically see, and then this is something different. Okay. Yeah, it's 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 like a lot of the Bigfoot sightings when you when you have like a hunter, these avid hunters who are, mm-hmm. you know, they're. I mean, th- these guys are like. I mean, some of them, you know, it's like their job, but a lot of these guys are just like obsessed with, with hunting. So they're going to be outside in any free time they have, like early, early in the morning to late, late at night. So they're, they're aware of their surroundings. They've seen, you know, and that's the thing that's like frustrating. It's kind of like with UFOs and, and pilots, you know, it's like this idea of like, oh, no, 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 no. You didn't see that. You saw this. And it's like, mm. it's like, no, it's like you're talking to a person who is, you know, like a like our tribal ancestors. It's like mm-hmm. we're, it's like these people live in it. They're right. They, they would know the difference in a turkey vulture and sure. something that was five times the size of that, you know. It would also be one thing if only one tribe had exactly. this legend and no one yeah. else did. All right, let me continue on this guy. So mm-hmm. he he ends up a few nights later, coincidentally, he attends this campground event um, that was on like birds of prey in the Midwest. And so he goes up to this scientist um, and he's like, I described this giant bird in detail for this uh, biologist, but the scientist told me that such a bird was impossible. There were no birds in the Americas larger than a condor and there were no condors in Iowa. Mm. This is a story that actually comes from a guy um, named Pastor Robin Swope. He's this really cool Christian pastor who is known for kind of researching the paranormal and sort of uh, discussing it in relation to how it works with his Christian beliefs. And Mm. he just Mm. has some fascinating tales. And this is a personal account from him. Well, two encounters actually, again, in Pennsylvania, which is interesting. Dude, Um, there's a ton in Pennsylvania, I'm telling you. In July of uh, 2001. So in 2000, He says, I started working in a local graveyard in Erie County, Pennsylvania. I had left association with the denominational churches a few years prior because of the, he essentially began to perform like small fellowship stuff, acted as a, performed weddings, funerals, baptisms, dedications, and other stuff to whomever needed it. But, you know, it didn't really pay very well. So he never really even asked for a fee, says that it was pretty liberating, but that he still had to pay the bills. And so he ended up getting a job as a grave digger at a graveyard. And as he was kind of like maintaining the grounds, July of 2001, he was mowing the 23 acres of lawn between the mausoleum and the edge of the property. And that's when he says he saw something very odd. Obviously frightened by the sound of the mower, this gigantic bird launched out of the brush about 25 yards to his right. If it wasn't so large, he says, I might not have noticed it. The gigantic wings beat the air with dynamic effort, and the avian was aloft and soaring over the brush and past the sprawling high-tension wires and the pillar that supported him. The bird was absolutely humongous, he says. And as it passed the support tower, 
I noticed that its wingspan as it reached its crest ran very close to the length of the tower's upper supporting beam. The creature quickly rose and then glided down past the treetops of the area where we dumped the excess dirt from digging graves and soon slipped out of sight. Hmm. It was strange, she says, but as a follower of all things Floridian, I had heard of Thunderbirds since elementary school. But at this time, I was kind of, it was a mix of amazement of what I just encountered and just trying to comprehend what exactly it was. As the realization of what I had just witnessed came to fruition upon my numbed mind, I remember jumping off the mower and screaming, yes, in jubilation, which is totally something that we would do as well. Yeah. I wanted to drive my mower back to the dumping ground to see if I could, by chance, catch another look at the strange bird that I just beheld to verify my adulation. But I knew that if I did so, my boss, who worked us all like the Marines he once served with in Vietnam, would be very irate. Anyway, the chances of actually finding the bird in the thick woods were going to be pretty slim. So, restraining myself, I went back to my mowing and glowed in the satisfaction of what I had just beheld. Mm. But what had I just seen? It was both similar to many large birds that I had seen in the area, and yet very distinct. It looked downright primitive. It had no neck, really. A thin and very pointed beak and a long tail that ended with what looked to be a triangle. It was completely black or dark gray from head to tail with no visible markings on it except a small bulge of plumage under the neck that stuck close to the body. Of all the workers in the field that day, I was the only one to see it, which is no surprise since the others were scattered through the 90-acre property doing various tasks. After work, I took my measuring tape to the tower and measured the length of the upper support beam by comparing it to the base, which was the same length, 20 feet. So, I estimated the wingspan of this creature to be anywhere from 15 to 17 feet in length. The only local bird that comes anywhere close near the size of this bird I just spotted was the great blue heron, or heron, as Tyler likes to say. Yeah, chase the dragon. And to tell you the truth, they do look similar in many ways. The wingspan of a great blue heron runs seven feet at the most, however. I mean, what they're, I had just they're, seen, they're big, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. What I had just seen was at least twice that size. I had seen herons quite frequently since a pair would often fly over our cemetery going to and from the various wetlands that encircled our property. In fact, the year before when I first took the job, I had accidentally surprised one of the pair while it fished in the creek that ran by a military memorial. I was only about five feet away as it suddenly jumped out of the water in fright and quickly flew off. But the avian that I saw that July in 2001 was a giant compared to the herons that inhabited our local woodland. So with a possible Thunderbird sighting in hand, I did what any good lover of the paranormal would do. I reported it. I sent a letter to 14 Times, and they published it in the August 2001 issue, number 148. Only later did I discover that there had been another Thunderbird sighting in June of that year, only 50 miles south in Greenville, Pennsylvania. Mm. The similarities between the two creatures are striking. Here's the description of the encounter as described by Stan Gordon in October 1st, 2001. 
A resident of the town of Greenville, PA, reported seeing a large bird the size of a small airplane from his living room. Greenville is a small town that lies near the border of Ohio and about halfway between Erie and Pittsburgh. The witness, upon further inquiry during a phone interview, was able to flesh out the report. He described the bird as fully feathered, a dark brown or black color. The back of the wings were grayish black. The body was not bulky and the overall appearance was not like any bird he had ever seen. As the house lies near Little Shadango Stream, this witness was extremely familiar with the birds and other wildlife in the area, including bald eagles, vultures, and storks. He stated that the bird flew in from the south and landed at a distance of 200 300 yards from the window and landed on a large tree beside the small pond. As it flew in, he saw a shadow first and thought it was an ultralight aircraft that are used in the area by some neighbors. The bird landed and remained on the tree for about 15 to 20 minutes and then took off again to the south. The witness estimated that the wingspan was equivalent to some of the ultralights he had seen in the area around 15 feet of wingspan and upwards of about 5 feet of body size. Was it the same creature? If not, then it had to be the same species, Pastor Swope says. I worked for the cemetery for about five more years after this sighting, and I never saw the creature again while employed there. However, in April of 2009, while waiting for a paranormal investigative team to arrive at the cemetery for an investigation, I once again encountered either the same creature or one very similar. In fact, Mm. I was taking pictures of the high-tension wire pillar for this article when the incident happened. Oh, wow. I had just put the camera away in my car and was walking toward the mausoleum adjacent to the high-tension wires when I heard a commotion from the swampy brush to the north. The large bird came up from the brush and quickly gained altitude. It was being harassed by smaller birds that were circling and attacking. I estimated its wingspan to be about 15 feet, judging by the surrounding terrain. I recovered my camera, but the batteries died as I tried to zoom in onto the bird. Mm. But I did manage to get one wide shot. By the time I had changed the batteries, the bird had disappeared into the wooded area west of the cemetery and out of sight. Looking at the lone picture I took, I could see nothing. I assumed that I missed it entirely. The bird was exactly like the one I had seen before and roughly the same size. It was black in color but I saw no white tuft as I did before. It was very similar to a blue heron, but of course larger, and the head was again slightly different. A few days later, I downloaded my photos, and to my surprise, I saw a slight speck in the sky from the lone picture. Enlarging it, you can clearly see a bird. The long tail is slightly visible, and I knew it was the large bird and not one of the smaller attacking ones. Hmm. Pretty crazy, man. Yeah, that's cool. One of the stories, too, and that... You know, I think this was pretty cool and something that I'd never heard of. I recently got back from Washington, D.C., and I ran into, we met some new people and uh, shout out to Jeff. But we kind of got to talking, you know, I'm telling him about the podcast. And, you know, it's always really nice when you start talking, especially with this stuff. And somebody's like, oh, I'm, I totally am into Bigfoot or, you know, whatever. And that's exactly what happened. And he, he was like, oh, I love all that stuff. And he was like, yeah, like, you know, like Bigfoot and like the Talanoa. And I'm like, whoa, 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 what did you just say? And when I got home, I looked it up. The legend of the Talanoa or the great mythic hawk is a Cherokee variation of the Thunderbird. 
and piazza bird myths found in, you know, all Native American cultures. Mm -hmm. Talanoa were a pair of immense raptors said to live in the caves of a high cliff just below the mouth of Sitco Creek on the north bank of the Little Tennessee River in Blount County. I mean, that's specific. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. And by the way, I'm about to get into something that makes this maybe my all-time favorite Thunderbird account. Mm -hmm. Um, So, according to legend, they flew up and down the river in search of prey, even coming into the villages and carrying off dogs and small children. Here we go. In one famous incident, Daniel Boone claimed to have seen the giant raptor on the Tennessee River near where the Cherokee claimed that the Talanoa made its home. Man. It's amazing. Daniel Boone. Like any, It's like... Uh, it's like the Manifest Destiny comic mm-hmm. that, that you're such a fan of, with. It's like this idea that, you know, you place these, like, creatures or or whatever in, like, the historic record. And it's just, ah, oh, there's just, there's not many things that are cooler yeah. than that. I mean, because it goes back to that thing that I was talking about where it's, like, a, a, a vastly different landscape mm-hmm. uh, existed before it was, like, populated by any kind of colonist or explorers or, mm-hmm. or anything, right? I mean, much less populated and, and you know, just a different landscape. And so, like, the super fascinating kind of ideas that, like, there were all these different sort of creatures that existed before it was just, you know, populated by us all. I mean, just think about the, the number of people in the country now. And mm-hmm. every, like, every corner, like, houses are, like, five feet apart from each other and stuff. Yeah, you know, like right. deforestation and all that kind of thing. Like, oh, yeah. I just love this idea of of creatures that just aren't around as, as much anymore. You know, mm-hmm. it's super mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, I do think that there's, I mean, it's interesting hearing your stories, hearing these like modern stories of like these, you know, more bird-like, you know, variations on the Thunderbird uh, instead of the, like the, you know, dinosaur, pterodactyl kind of thing. I I think it's interesting. It's like, it's almost like you have three different things. You know, I feel like you have these Thunderbird accounts from like tribes where, I mean, yes, all of their sort of history and oral traditions are like kind of all wrapped together with their myths, you know? So it's like, it's like how much of this do I believe was real? How much of this do I believe was was sort of, you know, cautionary tales or, or, you know, part of their sort of mystic belief system. And then you have these modern accounts of just these giant birds who look very real and very much like, uh, you know, with like the plumes around its neck and like the hooked bill. It's like they look like the California condor or a vulture or blue heron. But then you also have this other idea that there's, you know, somehow these things, which to me, like I love, I mean, going back to John Keel and, you know, I know you love this, but like window areas where maybe these like pterodactyls are like sort of merging into our time, you know, timeline or whatever and or like sort of, you know, flip flopping back into our reality Mm -hmm. Um but to me, there's, there's like those three, very, they're like very different, but then also could, I mean, they all kind of make up the Thunderbird, you know, motif in general. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And I think, I think next, let's talk about like what our theories are. Okay, cool. 
we will return after these messages. Hey, this is Woody. And this is Tyler. And you're listening to That Would Be Rad. And now, back to our show. I'm, I'm interested to hear what your thoughts are about it. I mean, we've kind of touched on it a little bit throughout this episode, but, like, what do you think is happening here? Is it a uh, extinct species of bird that was just gigantic? Were the Native Americans, like in the movie Prey, uh, mm-hmm. referencing a, what should be, like a spaceship or a UFO or like a mechanical mm-hmm. thing. You know, because if you think about it, if they heard a plane flying above right. ab- above them, they would right. think, you know, it sounds kind of thunderous. You know, if you hear a plane flying over your house, man, if you were a Native American, you'd be like, what on earth? It sounds kind of like thunder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's kind of like the analogy that I, that I referenced in a... Uh, a few episodes back where there's sort of a translation of, you know, you look at like the book of Revelation in the Bible and they talk about like on the end times, there's going to be, you know, these giant wasps and giant locusts. And it's, you know, a lot of people sort of look at that through a modern filter and it's like, oh, well, that's clearly like a helicopter Mm. and that's clearly this and that's clearly that. So like, I do love that idea. I mean, I think the, the, you know, if you think of, of a UFO, you know, there are some accounts where you see like a glowing thing. You see like, you know, which I would think is like some sort of propulsion. But what what else would they accredit that to? They don't have electricity. So all they know of as far as like something that's like creating light would be, uh, you know, from nature would be lightning. So maybe that's like, you know, they're looking at like the portholes around like an old school looking UFO and like, Oh well, that's like lightning coming out of its eyes, mm-hmm. and like uh, you know, or any electricity, dude. I mean, that's any, what I'm saying. Yeah, right. any any kind of electricity. They're just again using descriptive terms based mm-hmm. on what they've experienced, and at that time, electricity wasn't one of them. Right. Exactly. I think so. There's this guy that who apparently was like a big, like champion of this Thunderbird sort of, you know, myth or or character in general. Uh, he lived up, again, he lived in Clinton County, Pennsylvania, and his name was Hiram Cranmer. Mm. It says that he was sort of a connoisseur of the weird, often discussing ghosts, UFOs, and monsters. He claimed to have seen his first Thunderbird in 1922 and four others after that throughout his life. Wow. He said they had a tendency to inhabit northern Clinton County. Again, that's you, Pennsylvania. I mean, Our dude. listeners get out there. Yeah. And southern Potter County, which to be fair is a pretty remote area, a large flock of Thunderbirds could easily be hiding up there. So, like, I love, I love the idea that like there could be some sort of, you know, like these. It's like when I went to to Yellowstone. It's like you look out and yeah, we have big forest here in Georgia, or mm-hmm. especially like the North Georgia Mountains where we live. 
But man, you get out there and it is it is just like awe inspiring. It's just yep. epic. It's like hundreds of miles of just nothing but like, you know, untouched, you know, land and, mm-hmm. you know, trees and it's just super well, thick and, it's and like dense. The, it's like the northwestern territories of of um, right. that we've talked about before of, of Canada and Alaska mm-hmm. and all those areas that are still just wild. Yeah, and I think like, like British Columbia. Yeah, man. I think an easy sort of thing for people to think, just like with Bigfoot and stuff, is, mm-hmm. okay, but why haven't we recovered any sort of uh, skeletal remains or yeah. why aren't there more sightings of it and stuff? And again, I, for, I, I understand that line of thinking for sure. I do. I'll say, though, that like I've only seen a bald eagle in the wild one time in, in my life, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And... You know, it's not like I spend a ton of time outdoors, but I have, over the course of my life, spent a fair amount of time in the outdoors. And I've only seen a bald eagle once. I've seen a like a brown eagle or a golden eagle. They're they're brown in color, but a golden eagle like yeah, right. once. Most of the mm-hmm. time, hawks all the time because they're spirit animals of of ours. They're constantly, there's like two that live in my backyard. One literally just chills on my back porch sometimes. Mm-hmm. Much to the chagrin of my uh, outdoor cats and chickens, but anyway. Oh, dude, I, have I told my story about my cat? My kids mm-hmm. absolutely love the story on here, like with the hawk. No, so I had a cat uh, named Clue Cat, and yes, that is the name that was derived from a book by Clive Barker called "The Thief of Always." If you've never read it, go read it. It's amazing, especially as we approach October. It would be a perfect book to read. Anyway, there's a cat named Clue Cat, and his tail makes a question mark, and my cat did that. Anyway, so I come out one day. I hadn't seen Clue Cat for several days, and I happened to hear, like, sort of a crying sound at the end of the driveway. I run down there thinking, like, uh, you know, oh, it's my cat. Maybe she, maybe he's, like, something's wrong with him or, or whatever. I get down there, and, you know, like I said at the beginning of the episode, we used to have this sort of spirit animal hawk that lived on our property, and it would kind of fly around like our practice space, which was about a mile-ish away. And then my house up in Cleveland, Georgia, like North North Georgia. And what I think happened is I think this exact hawk came down, swooped down, and put its talons into my cat's back. And as it was lifting it up, I don't know if like because they were so sharp or maybe the cat was like too heavy. Because th- that is one thing with with uh that does separate thunderbirds from like our sort of regular modern day birds is like they don't really have the ability to lift anything heavy at all to still have like lift you know with their wings so what i think happened is it basically it tore the whole back off wait hold on start over you're saying what doesn't have the ability to lift things that are heavy uh like bird like birds like non non like birds of prey well i mean well, I guess a hawk would. Because, I mean, I, you know. I think he was, maybe he some, was like fighting or something. There's, there's like a bird in Southeast Asia, man, that has been known and told to like literally grab a monkey by the skull and just fly off with it. And in some of those Whoa. like underdeveloped villages, the cautionary tale is like until you're like a certain age, dude, as a kid, yeah. you, don't, you don't go out too far in the jungle. Yeah, yeah. I mean that 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 is one thing that's that's common in like the th- the Mer- American sort of Thunderbird myth. Mm-hmm. No, I just I, I assume that it couldn't do it, but I guess like in thinking, maybe the cat was like. I mean, a hawk. You know, nuts. they are much smaller, mm-hmm. especially like a red-tailed hawk. Yeah, right. 
Well, this one, basically what it did is it ripped the entire back off and you could mm. see its backbone. Dude, did you say your kids love this story? Yeah, I don't know why they love the story. Let me just tell you, just as a contrast, so Woodrow's <laughs> been watching Stranger Things and he's on season two and there's a part that I didn't even remember, that's how insignificant it was to me, where this demi-dog that Dustin's raising that he calls Dart or D'Artagnan, because mm-hmm. he names it after the Three Musketeers, yep. eats his mom's cat and Woodrow cried, dude, uh, immediately. And that was like, so far, that's been the most traumatic thing for him about Stranger Things. Well, just wait. You go to Tyler's house, and he's like, "Yeah, man, this bird ripped the back off my cat." And they're like, "Yay!" Well, they more. No, they like it because (laughs) they they like it because like he number one, he survived. Okay. Um, Okay. Number two, my mom was pissed because you uh, left the the door open or something. That vet bill was oh, I bet yeah, like almost four hundred dollars or something. So uh, that was not good. But I think they like that story because then, like a few years later. Clue Cat goes missing. My grandpa calls. I'm trying to be as short as I can. My grandpa calls. Says, hey, hey, Tyler, I think your cat's down in our tree. And I'm thinking, that's pretty weird because Clue Cat was like, he was kind of a little, like a bat. And he, so he he would never get like treed by some, like a dog or something mm. like that. And so I went down to go get him. I climb up in the tree. I notice, well, this is sort of weird. And it's, you know, it's dark. And he's like sort of fighting me and like scratching me and stuff. And Clue Cat was like my buddy, you know, he, he was just real sort of calm and he would let you like pick him up and all that stuff. And then, you know, I get him down from the tree, take him back home. And like I said, I hadn't seen Clue Cat in like a couple weeks. So I just assumed that he had, he had died. So that when my grandpa called, it was like, oh, great. We found him. I get home and the whole way home, I'm like carrying him and he's just like clawing the shit out of me. Like, and I'm like, what is going on? Like, maybe he's just scared or whatever. I get home and set him down and realize that this is not Clue Cat at all. And he eventually became my new cat, Hobbs, Hobbs who, yes. who oddly enough Hobbs, yeah. looked identical to Clue Cat. Sounds like Clue Cat with a with a hurt back kind yeah. of wandered into somebody's yard and got a little got a little girlfriend crazy. You know? Yeah, it could be. Well, got a little sympathy points is Clue Cat and Hobbs look exactly like your two little orange mm. cats. Mm-hmm. Three. Yeah. So. Or three, yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh um, my god! But yeah, they love that story, I guess, because they survive. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that makes more sense now. So I'm glad you, uh, yeah, took the time to explain that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me let me just say a couple things of in, in terms of what I think is going on here. Oh God, I didn't even I didn't even tell yeah, you. What I well, too bad. you go you first, then, your, then I'll. You had your chance. You go no, first. You kind of did. You kind of did. Back. You kind of did. So you're just going to repeat yourself. And How dare you? So here's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, do I think that maybe, man? As I even as I'm about to say it, I'm like, I don't know. So here's the thing: something that's cool that came from something that's fictional, like mm-hmm. the movie Prey, is that it really kind of makes you think about how a story or a description can evolve over time. Mm-hmm. It also makes you think about like you know native people have been living on this land for a long time. Now, it's been a long time since I took a class where we discussed the timeline of when a pterodactyl or anything like it, like a pterosaur, any kind of pterosaur or whatever, Mm -hmm. were flying around and all that. But if I'm thinking about it in terms of like like ancestral animals 
closely related to that that were also flying around. I think that in a lot of ways, if there isn't anything sort of like magical about it, then more than likely kind of what's going on is that's the Native American's way to kind of explain a lot of things. There exists a large bird. It's large, meaning, and it it must be sort of a symbol of power of some sort. And then they can use that to explain like weather and weather patterns and, and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, you know, I think that's plausible. Mm-hmm. More, more entertaining, more interesting to me is that like, you know, they're seeing like planes or something like that flying overhead and they're describing it as this thunderbird, you know, mm-hmm. dude. But as I'm as I'm kind of explaining, like the fact that there there may have been and potentially still is any kind of sort of like large creature. I can't believe we didn't do this earlier, but we got to give some context in terms of like f- even a 15 foot wingspan mm-hmm. and a 30 foot wingspan. What that looks like now, currently recognized top 10 largest birds of prey. In the world, the number one, meaning largest, largest mm-hmm. wingspan, everything, is the Andean condor, and mm-hmm. its wingspan is 9.8 feet. Wow. And that's it. Oh, that, is this the one that, there's like that famous photo that sometimes gets linked with the Thunderbird where it shows like a man in a suit in a museum, like way back in like the 40s or 50s, and like you see this giant black spread out. I don't know. See, dude, I was going to ask you about that photo. I think, I, I, I think that's what that is. It might be. I don't know. It, it does have this like white tuft around its sort of collar. Yeah. That wingspan what, what looks color did you a say lot. It was? Uh, it's kind of black. Yeah, that's what this is. But I mean, this, it's black and this white one photo. looks and the the wing. I mean, the beak is um, more curved. The photo that you're talking about looks more like if you just had like a giant raven. Yeah, it does have like a pointy, yeah. but man, that thing's... That thing's humongous, man. Humongous. The California condor, of course, is uh, is big, the bearded vulture. The African crowned eagle is one that is like, it is one of the, it's like a super powerful raptor. It's aggressive. Mm-hmm. It says, although this is a bird of prey, it only has a wingspan of like six and a half feet, but its talons are so strong that it's been known to crush the skulls of monkeys. It also preys on guinea fowl and a small antelope. Yeah. Now the ones Jeez. like this one, uh, the harpy eagle, mm-hmm. it is, uh, again, very strong grip with their talons, known to like be capable of breaking a human's arm. It preys on sloths, monkeys, and other large birds. Again, its wingspan is only six and a half feet. Jeez. So like... The Philippine eagle. This is the again, one you were talking about. Yeah, it, it feeds on monkeys, large bats, lemurs, pigs and dogs and stuff. And again, it's only six and a half feet. So like mm-hmm. I've seen very, very large birds in Indonesia mm-hmm. that are probably, I mean, I have no idea what the wingspan was, but I would say probably pretty close to this six or six and a half feet. And they seemed enormous, you know, and again, just in case, because, you know, I wanted to look it up to make sure I was speaking factually here. Measuring a wingspan, it's not just one length of the wing, right? It's it's both combined, right? So it's from end to end. Six and a half mm-hmm. feet doesn't sound very big, but get that get that whole measuring tape out. Yeah. Remember that the largest one that I talked about, the Andean condor, nine point eight feet. So we'll just call it we'll just call it an even ten. Okay. Even 10. Get, get your tape measure out. Measure out ten feet, 
and imagine a bird with that kind of wingspan. Well, now, or it, now imagine something that's three times that. Yeah, right. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I mean, in a modern home, like the typical ceiling height is like 10 foot. So that's floor to ceiling, which is so huge. Mm-hmm. And then being like, you know, two times, three times the width of that is just. Right. I mean, that's got to be pretty scary, actually. Yeah, man. I mean, it's like that death from above idea that, mm, mm-hmm. I mean, if something's coming at you that's as big as a, an airplane, I mean, that's pretty scary. It's terrifying, dude. Yeah. So, I mean, what do you, I mean, is that what you think is going on? There's just like an ancient creature that might not be um, around anymore? Is it a mixture of it all? I mean, that's what you usually where we kind of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we say that we're going to give our beliefs or what we think it is, but, but, you know, it ends up just being just as much confusing or sort of varied, I guess. I don't know. I, I, my mind tends to always look to the like the sort of paranormal or the Fortean side of things. Of like, well, how how can they, I mean, especially with like the the Thunderbird myths and like the like the native like the tribal stories and and myths. But like, I don't know. I, I think that, like I said before, I I feel like any time we hear these reports of like the, you know, pterosaur, pterodactyl, I feel like it's, it's like something that's like caught out of time somehow. I mean, or I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe there's some sort of relict avian, if you will, where like people believe that Bigfoot is a, is a North American wood ape or a gigantopithecus. Mm -hmm. Maybe there is like a pterosaur that's still, surviving out there kind of like nessie and loch ness being like a pleasing sore what clouds it all up really is like some accounts have feathers some accounts say they like look more like a blue heron some accounts are you know there's like a long tail behind it well that to me that's where that's where i feel like i feel like all this stuff is like different accounts you know i feel like Mm -hmm. the the blue heron idea and like the feathered you know, just this massive thing. I think whatever that is, whether it is sort of a supernatural kind of thing, which I don't know. I mean, I will say that if if you were a native way back then and you looked up and you saw a 30-foot sky beast, you know, flying above you, it would immediately take the top spot on, on my totem pole. Yeah, 100%. Um, and, and so, like, I don't know. I, I feel like... I feel like the possibilities are kind of endless, you know? Yeah. I mean, we could always take the approach, the sort of Michio Kaku and the fact that maybe there are moments and places Mm -hmm. and kind of like you talked about window areas and stuff where, you know, potentially if we're kind of moving toward the possibility of multiple, yeah, universes kind of all being in the same spot, essentially, Mm -hmm. separated by whatever. 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 Never heard of it. <laughs> and, and it's difficult for us to kind of fathom and, and to comprehend it. And I think that's why Michio Kaku kind of said it pretty good when he's talking about like, he kind of compares the, the it's like the ants and the 10-lane superhighway, right? Mm-hmm. So like a 10-lane right. superhighway, for those of you who have never heard it, a 10-lane superhighway is kind of like built next to an anthill. The question mm-hmm. being hey, would the ants even know what a 10-lane superhighway was right. or what it was used for, right? Mm-hmm. And so that sort of model, that 
that idea of thinking then used for us when we look at like our own galaxy or our own sort of existence and reality and stuff. It's mm-hmm. fair to it's fair to like agree that there's a lot of stuff that we don't understand. There's a lot of stuff that uh, people humans have experienced throughout history. Um, we know from oral tradition and then later written and and heck cave paintings, right? That yeah, right. There's all these other things happening. You know, potentially these other creatures don't necessarily have to kind of exist here on our earth in our mm-hmm. quote unquote reality. Now, again, we're getting out there with this kind of line of thinking, mm-hmm. but once you start diving into that sort of extra dimension and parallel universe type mm-hmm. idea and you, and you look into like the physics behind it and you start looking into like some of the theories and some of the things that like they, they've studied over time, you know, it starts to kind of, man, it, it, it helps to, potentially explain some of the some of the stuff that's going on or how about this what if what if uh i just kind of thought of this and i think it could be kind of cool so whether we're thinking of a pterosaur or say long ago the tribal folks maybe they were seeing some sort of relict avian bird that has since gone extinct right so mm-hmm. maybe they maybe their thunderbird was something that died out, you know, pre 1700s, 1800s. But because there's this idea of multiverses and mm-hmm. interdimensionality and you know window areas or whatever where the veil is slightly skewed so things can like sort of like blip in and out, what if along with the pterosaur, what if what if these sightings like in the modern age are sightings of that same giant bird that the, you know, the tribes people saw Mm -hmm. that's long been gone, but it's blipping from another existence. Because the thing is, is like, you know, say you do believe in like the multiverse theory. Well, you know, say the, the multiverse to my right, maybe it's not the same timeline, you know, in a linear fashion. So, Say it's beside me and it's exactly the same, except a few things are a little bit different, but it's pre-1700s. Right. So if that blips into our timeline, then like, sure, we could see a Mm. giant thunderbird that's living and, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, and that also helps explain a a common question when people are talking about whenever they see ghosts, like, why don't we ever see modern ghosts? Well, maybe the things that you're seeing aren't, you know... um, Uncle Fred or whatever. And and mm-hmm. because there's this like assumption that, oh, because it's parallel, that also means it has to be the same. It, it has to be like we, you know, techn- technologically the same in terms of advancement. We advance right. at the same rate mm-hmm. and we don't know. Right. Yeah. And so like, there's a quote that I read in the Skinwalker book, man, that like, I, I just have to share here because one of the things I think when, when people start to dig into it and to either dismiss or potentially kind of get interested in this stuff. There's something that like, and as you all know, if you've been listening to the show longer than one or two episodes, you know, I just love the science behind stuff too. Mm -hmm. And this quote is just amazing. It says, at its most basic level, science is supposed to represent the investigation of the unexplained, not the explanation of the uninvestigated. Mm. And so with that, I think it's super interesting because I think so many times um, 
with a lot of this stuff, it is, and look, hey man, we got a lot of issues here on earth mm-hmm. that supersede anything that we've talked about today, right? I mean, whether mm-hmm. or not a Thunderbird existed in the past, still does or whatever, we got hungry people, we got people dying, we got, I get it. And mm-hmm. so if it's, if someone's decision to not explore those kind of things is more based on, well, I kind of want to save the world. I can understand that, but man, like hats off to the scientists that exist who do dive into these things and do research. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The unexplained. I mean, like Jeff Meldrum is the first who comes to mind with, uh, with the Bigfoot thing. I mean, he's like, a you know, one of the most world-renowned, like, uh, it's not like ethnobiologist, but like primate, you know, biologist. And, you know, he he chooses to use his powers for good and isn't just so close-minded when it comes to looking at, you know, uh, like the casting and transdermal ridges and that kind of thing. Like, the, the, these are like things where, you know, your average Bigfoot, you know, hunter, if you will, uh, say he takes a plaster cast, he's not going to know that, oh, well, these ridges are similar to the ridges in this primate or this great ape or this, you know, so I think that's really cool. And I I totally agree of like, hey, man, that would be rad. We tip our hat to mm-hmm. the scientists that are open-minded enough to acknowledge that, like, well, that the are still obsessed. Yeah, well, I, I would say like that are still obsessed with discovering and studying mm-hmm. the unexplained. Oh yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like the lady uh, on one one of Bryce's partners. On yeah, on Bigfoot on uh, an expedition Bigfoot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Doctor I mean, Maria Mayer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's incredible, and you know, it, it's that like drive probably that propelled her into the field of like hey, I'm going to get out there and I'm going to make new discoveries. And she has. She's discovered a new a new species of, of like a sloth in, I think it's like South America or mm-hmm. like, uh, like Peru or, or somewhere. But like, you know, she's also like now kind of on the hunt for Bigfoot because at the end of the day, it's like, you know, your most straight-laced person can look at, at the concept of Bigfoot and think like, Oh, that's just fake. That's just like mm-hmm. weirdos claiming they see something when they don't. But like for I would imagine like a like a field biologist like like Dr. Mayer, that would be even more reason to be like, well, like we've had a bunch of sightings of this thing. So why wouldn't I go out mm-hmm. and try to discover, you know, the undiscovered? Yeah. And that's it just makes sense to me. But I mean, I get it with like funding and yeah, you, know, you kind of you look like a lunatic in your field of or your peers. What, what's interesting, man? I don't know if you ever saw this, but you know they spoke to Dr. Jane Goodall yep, uh, about right. it all, and one of the things that she said it was kind of like in response to like the thing that I brought up earlier in the show today was, "Hey, where are all the bodies or skeletal remains?" And listen mm-hmm. to this, dude. This is what Jane Goodall says. Uh, actually, it was Dr. Mayer that says this. She says that was one of the big questions I had going into all this. Her response is that it is very possible this is a species far more intelligent than we possibly imagined, and they are burying their bodies in a way we cannot find. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that's amazing. It's it's interesting, man. It's um, it's just well, and, and I think the reason that she's 
she said that is because, and I don't know if it was her that discovered this, but they've discovered since that there is like a a species of of large ape or whatever mm-hmm. that yeah primate that has been found to like bury their dead. Wow. Which how crazy is Man. that? I mean, just that alone is like again it goes that, back to and I think Dr. Mayer said this in, in that same article. We have this tendency as humans to kind of put ourselves at the top of the food chain, so to speak, and in, mm-hmm. in terms of intelligence and and that kind of thing. And while that's true in a lot of ways, you know, I think we are reluctant to kind of acknowledge in the intelligence in um, in other beings. And I mean, talk about a, a scientist that I was obsessed with, but certainly my brother is Jane Goodall, man. Oh, oh I yeah. love her so much, man. She is amazing. If you ever have a chance, if you haven't already, folks, to watch, um, there's this documentary about her. Is it Gorillas in the Mist? No, no. Where it talks. Wait, what is that? Uh, that's that just movie? about somebody else. Um, hmm. She, it, just go watch it, man. She, she had no formal training whatsoever. And all of a sudden, this young lady is out in the middle of the jungle taking notes and the reason why she was hired and I, I think we may have talked about this on the show before but the reason why she was hired by the scientists that wanted those studies done is he wanted somebody that didn't have the science background that didn't have the scientific sort of approach at the time someone that could think outside of the box and write down their observations without any sort of prior um sort of bias, bias and stuff yeah so yeah she's just an incredible lady man and has discovered so many things um and it's just, it's just fascinating. Uh, also, Gorillas in the Mist is a film adaptation of wildlife expert Diane Fossey's yeah. autobiography. Yeah, because, you know, in general, I'll study chimpanzees. So anyway, look, man, I think that is, I think this is like a perfect place to kind of wrap up for mm-hmm. today's show. But I mean, the thing is, though, is there's still a little meat on the bone with this Thunderbird story. And even more interesting to me is my all-time favorite thing that has to do with the Thunderbird. And ironically enough, it's not even necessarily about the Thunderbird per se, but it is the case of the missing Thunderbird photo. And you can find that over on our Patreon. Yes, the Patreon launches September 5th, so next week, where you'll be able to hear more as we go deeper down the rabbit trail. You can find us over on Instagram. Jump in those comments, say hey. If you want to send us a story or an account or just tell us what how much of a great job we're doing, uh, shoot us a DM or shoot us an email over at uh, thatwouldberadpod at gmail.com. More importantly than all of those things, head on over to thatwouldberadpodcast.com, our brand new website, which we're extremely excited about. And if you want to leave a little voice memo, there is a feature that lets you click the button and tell your story directly to us on the website. Uh, new merch is coming soon sort of a back to school kind of theme go tell one single friend about the show and uh, oh leave star- leave some five star reviews it really helps and uh, you know it just helps get our voices heard a little better we got anything else Woody? that's it alright we love you we appreciate you and as always be rad that's the way it
time where I just needed some sunshine You were already dead before you became a ghost You always said our future would be a parade of flowers But now all that's left is a single rose That's the way down go to our website it's everywhere <laughs> oh that is gonna be nice i'm gonna be able to just start going to your your website oh my website <laughs> your website uh should i say just whatever it's gonna be say it because <laughs> man we gotta roll dude it's already 10 30 okay now listen let's not start you have a haircut like, and yeah at 1 30 yeah no that means you okay go ahead no, I understand, but I'm saying don't like do the rush thing because then I just start talking like like I feel like I just gotta like hurry real fast and that sucks. Uh, uh, 